This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Open the Voice Gate for August 31st, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site, and you click the red box as a sponsor of this podcast, and you can set up a one-time a recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside the other host, Case Low. In Case, this August, man, this August in Dragon Gate, it's it's something. At least, like to me, I always kind of go like, "All right, that they have kind of a rough time getting out of the gates after Kobe World traditionally." But this feels, man, this the at least for me that this has not been a very invigorating august in the dragon system how uh, how are you holding up and am i off base in saying this hopefully our long national nightmare is over hopefully we can just put this august behind us and move in to a pretty big september we have the cork and hall show next week that's next wednesday the 8th the big osaka number two show on september 11th with sb kento and kaisuke akuda in the main event for the open the brave gate championship then 10 days after that dangerous gate with Yamato's first Dreamgate defense, the Ahashi brothers debut, and what should hopefully be a pretty strong card. We don't know all of that card right now. I think we have, what, three matches between uh, Yamato, the Ahashi brothers, and the Triangle Gate match that was set on these shows that we're about to talk about. So, yeah, it, it was not the strongest month. August rarely is. I was trying to rack my brain earlier today and figure out has Drangate ever really come out strong from a Kobe world? It does seem like it is typically such a hard reset from what they do at the end of July that it is really hard to build momentum into this new cycle. Of course, 2015 is an exception. You can make an argument that 2015 was one of the hottest months they ever had with the Millennials disbanding and Berserk forming, and you had that whole storyline with Shingo leaving Monster Express. Was T-Hawk going to be a part of Berserk? No, they turned on him. He he now goes to Monster Express. There was a whole bunch of stuff that happened that month that was terrific. Dangerous Gate 2015, an all-time great show that had Yoshino versus Shingo as the main event with the Jimmys versus Mad Blanky unit disbands match underneath it. But after that, yeah, it seems like this is just a very large hurdle that this promotion, for as strong as they are, for as consistent as they seem to be 
for pretty much 10 or 11 months out of the year, this is always a tricky month for them. And I do really think they stumbled out of the gates into this post Yoshino era this year. Yeah. And it's something that like, sometimes you can't help out with schedules, but you like look at like what went on this month and yeah, uh, August one, we have speed star final. It's my favorite show in dragon system history. So like, that's always going to be like a positive thing, but it doesn't feel like that's part of August because everything since then, it's not that it's been bad there's been bad stuff that's happened this month and this week's shows i i think i i'm a little bit lower on than uk's but it's just something that when the future stuff has been kind of the highlight of the month for me that tells you that there we're in some doldrums there and then of course like last year i mean they basically had a truncated year so august wasn't afforded to be a slow month. I mean, we had Memorial Gate and the Ada and the Ada title one in August. So it's something that, like, looking ahead into September, I mean, they have two more shows to set up Dangerous Gate, and then they'll have one other Teldai shows after that. And then this October, I have some pretty high hopes for October looking, looking at what we have coming up there. And then, I mean, really, Dangerous Gate's the start of the hot season, and we'll see how things kind of pick up from there. I do. Really hope that this uh, September 8th Cork and Hall show is going to kind of reverse the tide and we get a strong lead into Dangerous Gate on the 20th. But we're not talking about Dangerous Gate this week. We had two shows. It was a double header the uh, monthly show in the friendly confines of Kobe Sambo Hall, and then the Naruki Doi homecoming show in Nara Centennial Hall. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about Naruki Doi as we to close out the show. But case, I think we the, the, we just got to get right into it. Uh, overall thoughts about the doubleheader in this weekend? I thought these shows were stronger than what we saw last weekend. I I still am not in love with these cards on paper, and that unfortunately even continues into the Cork and Hall show that uh, we'll talk about more next week. I'll obviously have a written review of that over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. We have the full card for that show, and and on paper nothing really jumps out from jumps out to me, especially from a match quality perspective. We'll, we'll talk more about strong machine J in a little bit. And the fact that we'll get a new strong machine next week at Cork hall, that's exciting to some degree, but there is a real lack of oomph. There is a real lack of something for me to sink my teeth into, not only on that Cork and show, but going into Kobe and going into Nara. I did not love these shows on paper. Now, Overall, I would say I enjoyed this Kobe Sambo Hall show, one of the weaker uh, events they've put on in this building this year, but there was what I thought was one great spreadsheet quality match, and then some other stuff that was fine, and quite honestly, with the month they've had, I'll take that. Nara, I wasn't expecting much from it, and I did not get much from it. Yeah, uh, I, I'll be interested to see if your high match is the same high match as mine. It, it was something that there was nothing out there that was as f- offensive as the Fukuoka double shot with that one tag team match that was like the first time I went below two stars on a Dragon Gate match I think all year like it was that bad to me but it, it it's something that like Kobe like there's a rhythm now of Kobe Sambo Hall shows that I find pretty enjoyable I mean you, you get a future match and you get an opener and then before intermission you get the Royal Sanbo and then usually the upper part of the card everything post intermission you, you'll get at least one banger and that's why I feel like we got there uh Nara, I mean, the homecoming shows are nice. I like seeing the homecoming shows. I like seeing shows outside of the rotation. I like being able to not only see 
Kobe Sambo Hall, Osaka number two, Corkin Hall, KBS Hall, uh, across Fukuoka. I like the fact that we get to see them kind of move around and we get to see different buildings. Like Tetsuya Naito, I am an arena prover. I like seeing these things. But Nara, you know, it's something that, I mean, with the whole setup there, it was a very, like, boring-looking show in a way. Like, it just was something that, like, they had the show on the stage and then, it was two hours and 15 minutes on the network, and that's including the eight-minute talk that they do to start each show and then a 15-minute intermission. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's it did not waste our time, at least. But it's just, it was one of those things that like, at a certain point, I was just like, they're just running through the motions. They're just running through the motions. And, like, I have my notebooks, and I take copious notes during these, these matches and these shows, but it, it got to a certain point where, like... It, I'm just there just really wasn't much to talk, to like write about or talk about with these shows and that's kind of that's kind of what the August doldrums are doing to me at this point. Nar was interesting. That was a five match show. Nothing went over 15 minutes. There was one match on that card that I liked quite a bit and it was not one that I necessarily expected to enjoy on paper, so we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I have to give some compliments to a man that I've often been very critical of, so this will be a big moment for me. I'll grow as a person because of it. But yeah, Kobe was the stronger show. So let's talk about Kobe Sambo Hall real quick. All right. So Kobe Sambo Hall was on the 28th. Let's see how bad the Texas educational system is for me. That should be up on the network through the third, I believe. Maybe the third. I'm sorry. My dates are probably wrong here. Indiana's not much better than Texas. I can't help you out there, partner. Hey, hey. It's just, you know, counting. Like, I I can count to 20. I can guarantee you that. But Oh, good for you. I mean, I cut my fingers and toes, buddy. You know, you can make sure of that there. <laughs> but and you got yeah. you got ten of each, ten fingers, ten toes. Surprisingly, I haven't injured myself so much that I've lost that. I almost did have an injury that I could have lost my toes, though. So you know, it's not well, without I'd struggle. Like to, I, look, this this for whatever reason does not surprise me. I'm honestly a little surprised you got <laughs> ten and ten, uh, Mike Spears. How did you almost lose your toes? So. Let me take you back to the halcyon age of 2004, Case. You were three. So I was 2004, I was five. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. Okay. So you're, you're in kindergarten, but a young Mike Spears was away at college, his first week of college. And uh, you, you, I don't know if this is the case for you, but all the dorm beds were basically like all these like, prefabricated like you had like these posts and then you had like a crossbeam and then you had the the spring on it it was basically made to be moddable like, like, was that similar to to what you had in college i, I think so because d- you didn't have dorm or like uh not do- not uh you didn't have bunk beds did you you had the option to because you can go take like two parts of the headboard and the and the uh, end board or the footboard and you can stack them on top of each other, and you can make a bunk okay, bed I, out of I that. I certainly did not have that option. My, my well, I'll talk about my freshman year bed in a second, but uh, no, I did not have that option, but go ahead. So my first week at school, my roommate, who did not remain my roommate for very long, we traded not because we disliked each other, not because of what happened. We just were like, oh, we like it. We, we like these other this other pair of roommates a lot more than each other. Like, hey, this is like a fair switch here. But he wanted to loft his bed. And the thing is, is that... When you build a lofted bed using these parts, you have to have this cross beam that's like this big heavy beam that latches in and you have to like have it supporting it so then you could go have everything on top of it so it doesn't collapse in the middle of the night. My roommate at the time wanted to loft his bed and I was like, all right, yeah, no, I'll help you out with that, no problem. 
and we had the crossbeam and we we're setting that up and the problem was that he dropped his side of the crossbeam and these be beams were pretty strong or pretty heavy things and then the sudden weight it slipped through my fingers and the crossbeam landed on my foot and i was like okay ow that hurts that that sucks and then 15 minutes later i was like my foot feels really wet and I had to go to the hospital because the latch that latches the, the crossbeam into the headboard and the footboards went into my foot. And I had to go get stitches. And I discovered at that time that I don't have necessarily uh, strong nerve endings in my feet because I did not really feel pain other than like my toes getting smashed. I did not feel a latch going into my toes. And that's how I spent like my first month of school was having my foot bandaged up on crutches and doing like this and oh yeah the first phone call i made to my parents since they dropped me off at school was hey uh, so i just got out of the hospital and i had to get stitches in my foot so it, it's a surprise that i still have all 10 toes i of course have very strong nerve endings in my feet i'm built different it's very uncomfortable for me when i walk anywhere barefoot even on grass it's incredibly painful i have very very sensitive feet uh mike spears that story is very gross thank you for sharing that let me ask you this because did you do undergrad at miami or did you do grad school at the university of miami uh grad school at the university of miami uh my undergrad is a little school in north carolina that not a lot of people heard of called elon university Yes. Okay. Familiar with Elon, but uh, were you living in North Carolina before you went to school or did you move from wherever to North Carolina? Oh, I, I drove from Dallas, Fort Worth to North Carolina. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about this a few days ago because my, the college that I went to starts next week and I, I, I don't have to worry about classes anymore. You know, I, gra I graduated in the spring and it's been, it's finally now setting in that I've graduated from college, like in May, especially because I was online for all my classes it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this and I'll, I'll pick it back up in September. But now I'm realizing, oh, I, I don't have to pick it back up in September. But I've become a little nostalgic about the feeling of freshman year of college, the unforgettable, terrorizing, yet freeing feeling of once your parents leave. And I'm like you, I went to college in a different state than, than I grew up in, of like, oh my God, the world is so much bigger than I realized and trying to navigate that the uh, first year was very intense and I, I got through it. I'm very glad I did my freshman year bed story, more of my freshman year dorm. There was four to a dorm, uh, my freshman year of college. Cause it was more just like an apartment style it was much bigger than your average dorm room. And it was two to a bedroom. And I looking back now, I don't know how I did this for a year. The walls in this dorm room did not connect to the ceiling. So, it was just a noise free for all. Like it was incredibly How? grating and taxing. Like I can't, I can't even imagine living like this now where again, like the bedrooms were next to each other and it was two and two, but the wall dividing us, there was a, a foot and a half gap from the wall to the top of the ceiling. So everything was audible and it's nightmarish to think about because you know, look, if we had a, uh, a lady over, everybody's got to clear out everybody has to leave because there's no such thing as privacy if anybody just wanted quiet it was not an option because somebody was going to be there and somebody was making noise and i do not miss that dorm room i do not miss those roommates i lived with a kid that year it's probably very good for me he was really into acid 
And as someone, oh someone that grew up very sheltered and very straight edge, it was good exposure therapy to be around someone that was constantly tripping. My <laughs> my favorite story from college, four years of college, I enjoyed all of it. My favorite story from college is freshman year. This kid went to the zoo with his girlfriend and he was on acid and she took acid for the first time ever. And as they were walking around the zoo, the story that he told us was that he looked, he was high as shit. He saw a monkey in a cage and he said, that is me in this relationship and I need to get out of this cage and at the zoo on acid, he broke up with his girlfriend and then came back to our apartment and bought a birthday cake and ate birthday cake with us and it was the happiest we had ever been. It was the most joyous celebration of all time and we had like, this girl had like stuff in our dorm room, like she like walked in and was crying and like taking her stuff out and taking it across the hall and we're just like, man, this is a night for the boys. We're just living right now. This man is out of his mind and we kind of respect him for it i mean i would not think that necessarily well i mean i guess maybe the acid will have worn off but having a cake then is not what i would imagine as like a pleasant part of my trip like that, that that's <laughs> way too like, much sugar he was like my man's gotta eat i gotta get some food in me after this experience and it was so much sugar it was i have a horrible diet i'm blessed with a great metabolism even for me, I was like, man, this is making me feel sick to my stomach. This cake is too intense. Not my man on acid. He was loving every bite of it. Hey, I mean, sometimes you got to treat yourself. And especially right after you. <laughs> I, 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 I'm I, still wrapping my head around like I'm a monkey in the cage. I've got to be free. I, <laughs> and you're saying this to someone on their first trip. But of course, on you're not inhibited. First trip, on their first trip. She was not expecting this. It was great because, look, I did not like this woman and she was in our dorm room constantly and i was just not a fan of it so for me it was a win-win i got a great story out of it and i no longer had to see her saw her about a year ago she called me chase and it pissed me off so much i just about punched drywall after she left because she knows my name she knows better but yeah i uh i love that story do you think that she was waiting three years to drop that on you look 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 like that's on like that's a spite move and you know what i respect her for it i'm sorry that she that she called you chase case but i mean she got broken up by her boyfriend at a zoo during her first trip while he was tripping acid and had to go pick up all of her stuff while her her ex and, her, and his idiot roommates were eating a giant sheet cake like, yeah just a big cake we had king of the hill on the dvr like the boys were posted up at this point and just cackling at the entire situation cackling at king of the hill i'm sure she has some resentment she didn't like me in the first place i don't blame her i was not super friendly to her but i i stand by my actions and if, if that's her way of getting back at me is misnaming me which happens constantly in my life people think my name is chase not case this is a shoot name by the way i did not choose case slow as something to put out of the void unfortunately this is my government name but I get called Chase all the time, and she is one of the many people that have done that to me recently. I, it, it it's something where like I get people misspelling my name, but you know, M Michael is not an uncommon name, so it's just something that like Case to to Chase that that that's deliberate, like that's a power move there. Uh, speaking of power moves, Case, this Kobe World or this Kobe Sambo Hall show started off with two guys who. You know, they're not built up to power moves yet. Uh, it was a future match. Uh, Riki, Hashi, Takuma, uh, Fujiwara. It was a five-minute draw. Looked like we were close to getting our first fall of the future project in this match as uh, gnarly uh, Riki, Hashi, uh, uh, Boss and Crab on 
Fujiwara in the last moments, and it just was brilliant. You know, it was, I thought it was a pretty fun uh, five-minute exhibition match. I think Fujiwara is my guy in this future class. Obviously, I have a ton of stock in Sora Fujikawa. We kind of saw the rough outline of what he could be before his injury in 2020. Fujiwara is someone that when when he debuts, when he gets gear, when he's added to a unit or given an angle, uh, I, I'm very curious to see how he responds to it. I just like the rough foundation he has. It's obviously very rough around the edges. Even in these five-minute, very basic matches, it's not all there, but I like his look. I like the tools he seemed to possess at this point in his career, and I think going forward, the more and more experience he gets, the stronger he is going to be, and I'm routinely impressed by him every time I see him. Yeah, it, it's something where I think Fujiwara, like, he has, like, a sick dropkick already. Like, it was something I was like, all right, this kid has, like, at least, like, the big fire-up, like, hope spot dropkick when he's, you know, in his rookie stages. But he has, like, a tool set that I think will be very interesting to play out. Uh, Ricky Hashi put on some muscle between the beginning of the month and now. (laughs) Did you notice that, too? Like... (laughs) I, I, I kind of had some demonic flamita vibes to him. A lot of muscle in a short amount of time. I mean, we do know that there's a new gym that has opened up in Kobe, and it's run by Masato Yoshino, and it's also run by the former uh, owner of Midbreath. So maybe he's he's visiting Gym Speedstar. Maybe that will be the new trope going to <laughs> going to the Gym Speedstar. Uh, the opener on this show was a Masquerade versus Natural Vibes tag team match. Jason Lee and Makota Minor reunite once again. Mino Lee's writing again against the team of Ginky Horiguchi and Funky Jackie Kame. Horiguchi was submitted with Anger Nahe in 10 minutes flat by Kota Minonora. And uh, one of the big topics this week, uh, Funky Jackie Kame has now decided just to do Kung Fu stuff. And it kind of works for me. And it's, okay. it was just uh- kind of amusing to me. I'm very glad you said this because this I, I, I was wondering if I had missed something or if it seemed like Kamei was way more animated and really diving into the funky Jackie part of funky Jackie Kamei this weekend. And it seems like, you know, I, I was I was a little concerned about Kamei over the past few months because, again, he was so rock solid as a rookie and it seemed like he knew his place on the card, he knew his role, he knew how to stand out in these matches. And ever since he's come back from injury, you know, Natural Vibes has been such a rock solid unit, but Kamei has clearly been lacking a little bit. I don't think he's fit in great, which has been shocking because on paper that is something that should absolutely work. And it seemed like this weekend... This will sound like a backhanded compliment, but I, I I mean it sincerely. He has figured out his role of opening match guy and has really kind of taken the full on. I don't know if you want to call it a Drangate spirit of like, yes, he can do the holds. Yes, he can do all these fast spots, but he is also working the crowd. He is is very clearly defining his character now. And it's nice to see because for a while, again, he was he was falling flat with me. And that's not something I expected from him really ever because he seemed to flesh out who he was as a rookie so quickly that most of this year I've kind of looked at as a disappointment for him but not here I thought he was super entertaining yeah and even more so like in Nara when we get to Nara he did one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a Dragon Gate ring so it's nice to see that kind of interesting that it was Ginky 
uh, taking the fall versus him, but I guess Ginky's really at a point right now where it doesn't really matter what falls he takes. Uh, uh, the, the Royal Sambo is next. Uh, participants, Ryo Saito, Yozushi Kanda, Super Shisa, Satyoko Boy, Strong Machine J, Problem Dragon, Yosuke Samaria, Hoho Loon, and Dai Inferno. The final two people in the match were Strong Machine J and Yosuke San Maria, and Strong Machine J won with the Machine Suplex. I'm still holding out for a Super Shisa win, but I don't know if it's ever going to happen. This is uh, the lesser of the Strong Machine J performances this weekend, and I will leave it at that. Yeah, uh, did not feel this Sanbo at all. It just it, felt It's like amazing ever... how much it loses when Ichikawa is not in the match. Right, yeah. I mean, because like the, the overall conceit here was that Maria was one of the first people out, and she tripped or like stubbed her ankle and she was like selling that for a while and everyone was kind of like doing that and that was kind of the only like real comedy bit here uh hoho loon was just reacting to like maria's just general moves and everything like this and he was a scream but yeah this was kind of this kind of went on way too long and i think it's probably the worst one they've had so far i would agree with that Match three, uh, unaffiliated tag teams here. Uh, it was a trios match. Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Susumi Okosuka versus Dragon Kid, Konomawa, Ichikawa, and Punch Tomonaga. It was uh, Susumi Okosuka winning when it looked like he was going for the Mugen. And instead of wanting to take the move, Konomawa Ichikawa uh, did a verbal submission in 11 minutes and 4 seconds. I mean, I thought this was like a fun, uh, like comedy match with like the Ichikawa things, and it just was something where like the rest of the match was kind of paint by numbers to me. I I love Stalker, I really do. I I don't need an eleven minute comedy match though, and I I found this to overstay its welcome. Even though I do love the finish, the the spot where Ichikawa submits before taking a big move will pop me every single time. I think that's so clever, but this could have been done in half the time, but it would have been twice as effective. Completely agree there. We had another tag team match. We had a lot of tag team matches across this weekend. Uh, it was unaffiliated team in Ruki Doi and Takashi Yoshida, the new generation Doi Yoshi versus the natural vibe team of UT and King Shimizu. UT played the role of KZ in Party Anthem. And, you know, UT is the guy who's, like, most into doing everything. Like, he just likes having a good time here. And the match was 12 minutes, 46 seconds. UT, he did a good job, but he ate a sliding pineapple bomber after a Bakatari sliding kick. And the unaffiliated Doi Yoshi team wins this match. I like this a lot. I have to, I have to give credit to UT first. I thought he was absolutely terrific this weekend both of his matches i looked at him and i thought god this guy is working his ass off right now because in both matches you know here it was yoshida the next night it was strong machine g and strong machine j and i felt like he put in 110 percent to make sure that those matches did not go off the rail so well done to ut i think he is I just I hope he can stay healthy for an extended period of time. Not that it's going to lead to championships or even just high profile matches. I just think he is such an asset to have on these cards because he is someone who obviously can have your fun sprints. He can get the shit kicked out of it by Kaisuke Akuda. He can have a great match with Susumi Yokosuka when the time comes. But just as a steady hand, he has developed into one of those guys on the roster. And that's something 
you know, Mike, I've talked about for years. I had no interest in UT. I did not get this guy. I did not like this guy. I did not want to see this guy. His injuries, although they certainly did not bring me joy, I was not necessarily bothered by them because I just had no use for this guy. But I, I don't know my off base and saying he is one of the more consistent wrestlers on the roster at this point. Oh, no, you're you're dead on. He's probably, and I think I've said this, he's probably the person on the roster right now who I enjoy his matches the most. And it's something that really, when he joined Tribe Vanguard, that was kind of like the full court press with him. And I thought that, like he was a star here. I thought that Naruki Doi having to deal with UT using his body as a jungle gym was awesome in this. And I like the chemistry that we see with Doi and Yoshida. Like it's something that those two kind of stick out like a sore thumb right now being unaffiliated and I'm not saying I want another Takashi Yoshida Twingate run, but you know these two guys like surprising amount of chemistry here. Really fun match, not my match of the night, but it was pretty close to it. I mean, it was the first match really that went above three stars on this show. I went three and a half on it. Yeah, I don't need an extended Doi Yoshida run, but I'll be damned if I didn't pop for the Bakatare into the sliding lariat. That is a great finish. I am all about that. The semi-main event was a R.E.D. versus Masquerade Trios match. Shun Skywalker, Dragon Diet, and La Estrella versus Eita, Diamante, and Hio. Hio got the win with a crucifix hold in 13 minutes and 45 seconds. Immediately after the match, they beat down all of Masquerade, piled them on top of each other, and then stole their belts at Dangerous Gate. We now have a Trial Gate match. It is the R.E.D. team of Eita, Kaido, Ishida, and Hio challenging against the the Masquerade Triangle Gate champion team of Dragon Daya, La Estrella, and, and Jason Lee. This is what I'm talking about, Mike Spears. Match of the weekend. And it's not that this was an upper echelon Dragon Gate match, not one of the best 10, 15, even 20 matches they'll have this year, but so far and away to me, better than anything else this weekend. I went four stars on this. I, I thought all six guys, and I can talk about them more in depth in a second. I thought all six guys were tremendous in this match. Yeah, no, this is the best match that I feel like they've had in several weeks. I went four flat on as well. This is the easy match of the weekend. And La Estrella, since he had the rough May, holy crap case. He just was feeling himself... The bump, he did like a crazy Arava and Dam flip bump off of getting shoved into the turnbuckles. Like, like, like this, this kid at this point is like, oh yeah, I've got it figured out. I'm just going to be an absolute madman at this point. And it just like great finishing stretch here. Like between Dragon Daya and Hio, Hio is someone that, I mean, he's always going to be where he is in the ring, but it seems like that since that Sapporo uh, trip in May, he's really kind of found like a character and confidence that's really started to work for him. And, you know, we got Shun and Diamante. I mean, that's always great. And, you know, everyone in this match just went full pedal to the metal for 13 minutes and by far the match of the weekend, in my opinion. I'm glad you were into as Estrella as I was here because I, I, I feel like since his debut last December, which it's wild to think we're coming up on a year of La Estrella, but that's just the way time flies. I feel like I've I've been a little bit higher on him than you. I've had a little bit more faith that he can figure out who he's supposed to be because, you know, there was a really rough stretch there. April, May, June were not friendly to La Estrella, but he has figured it out. Obviously, They've put him in the ring with Diamante every chance they've gotten. Diamante's a great base for Estrella. They work well together. But even just what he was doing with Eita and Hyo in this match, 
Estrella is a man-man. Like you talked about, he takes a bunch of dumb bumps. The, the one that I am in love with is when he basically belly slides to the floor. Just yeah. Diamante throws him down, and he takes a, a face-first, chest-first bump to the outside. That looks so gnarly every time I see it because Estrella is coming with so much speed. I feel like maybe it's a bump that Rey Mysterio used to do. I couldn't point to an exact match where it happens, but Estrella is doing it now, and I think it looks so vicious every time, especially Diamante, just because of the height he has on Estrella. It looks so vicious every time they do it. Obviously, Daya here was great. I thought Shun Skywalker put in a really strong performance. He about blasted Hyo out of his exoskeleton with a bicycle kick in this match. Skywalker connected with what looked like 110% <laughs> full force. It was unbelievable. And even Ata, who has obviously been kind of a backseat guy for most of this year, I thought he showed up here. I thought he added to this match. I thought he helped it, uh, uh, put it over the edge and... As a result, we have a four-star match and what I think is going to be a hot triangle gate match at Dangerous Gate. Yeah, it's something that I feel like that it, it's a shame that the that the Dream Gate is kind of being treated this way right now because everything else title-wise is clicking. I mean, moving to the main event, like SB Kento and Keisuke Akuda in a lot of ways kept my interest in this match and this triangle gate match, I mean, like, I feel like that this is a strong triangle gate team, or if not strong triangle gate team, this could be a team that, you know, Takashi Yoshida got kicked out of RED for losing a triangle gate match. It's something that, you know, you can't just immediately discount the possibility of. And I, I'm really kind of like, I'm just glad we're getting through August because there's a lot of things coming up that I'm kind of really excited for. Yeah, exactly. I was into the main event as well. You know, this is uh, a combination of guys that I wasn't necessarily sure how this was going to work. I haven't been into the high-end Mochizuki pairing. I admittedly still do not love it, but I thought Akuda and SV Kento carried this main event. Yeah, yeah. So the main event was an eight-man tag. It was Mochizuki with high-end Yamato Benkei and Keisuke Akuda versus R.E.D., B.B. Hulk, Kai, Kaido Ishida, and SB Kento. Okuda got the win over SB Kento with the good night. And something I love about this feud, Okuda still selling the leg the next week. Like this is going to be like the big focus point is going to be like the SB shooter with his leg here. And, you know, outside of that, I, I j it's very hard for me at this point, like to get into the whole Dreamgate kind of part of this match. But I thoroughly enjoyed the stuff with SB Kento and Okuda and, Kaido Ishida, I thought was pretty solid in here as well. It's just, it's just something that like the four Dreamgate guys, like it makes sense why they're going that way. It's just that they, they have a thing of like they make the match so far out and then they build to it for two months when it's just like, oh, you don't need to build to this match. Like we know what's going to happen here at this this point. I get that you want to go around the country and make sure that you're highlighting this feud in every place you're you're recording it and you're taping it, but it's just. At a certain point, I'm just like, all right, please, Wednesday, come. I'm just ready to move on to what's going to be the Dreamgate match at the end of of September. For a lot of the past year and a half, I, I've obviously hated the clap crowns just because especially in Dreamgate, it's been like, man, what would this sound like with fans? I think this would be so over. I feel a very different way about this Dreamgate situation where I just wonder if crowns were, you know, like they were in America right now would this stuff 
get over. And, and maybe that is a very Western mindset to have. Maybe the crowds are super into this, and I just don't know. But I don't think the Dreamgate stuff feels hot. It's not resonating with me. And I, I know it's Yamato, and I know it's Mochizuki. Kai has his appeal. Ben K has his supporters. But man, it's just, it's not connecting with me at all. I don't think they've done anything. It, just from a, a small perspective, even in this match, SPK comes out, he's wearing MMA gloves. They do a great spot where SPK punches Akuda with the gloves and Akuda is not phased by it. It leads right into the finish. Great, great way to end the match. I don't think the Dreamgate has done anything that effective. It's just been your standard uh, friendly fire spots between Mochizuki and High End. And maybe it's just me. I've, I've, I've obviously been very outspoken about how those types of matches never really do anything for me uh, in Dragon Gate in particular, but I, I'm just completely not interested in the build of this match. No, I'm the, the same way. I'm ready for Wednesday. I'm ready to get like, okay, who's going to be the, the challenger for Yamato at this point? And if it's Kai, I'll roll my eyes. It's the other two. I'll be pretty excited, but it's just like they set this match up and it, and it, they set this match up like, three weeks ago at this point and it was a whole month building to this number one contendership match and really nothing is done to like add any stakes to it, it just feels like they have to have this they have to have this like this preview match in every single televised area and i get it it's just like as you said like there's just no real no no real spice to this and maybe they can heat it back up they only have one other show after the drink keys decided they only have the osaka two show so it'll be interesting to see that. Uh, let's let, move let on. me ask you this, because okay. well, once the match was announced at, at the beginning of this month, I was pretty adamant that Kai was going to win it. And I, I, I still can't shake the idea that they're going to do some sort of crazy stipulation with Yamato versus Kai. But with Mochizuki being the primary focus of these matches, it seems like him messing up high end has been the focus. Has it changed your thoughts at all? Because now... It's not necessarily that I think Mochizuki is going to win the three-way, but I think the odds of Kai winning the three-way have lowered. Yeah, it, it, it's something that I think... I'm trying to remember back three weeks ago when I have issues remembering what I had for dinner last night. Uh, I, I think I was a little bit more towards thinking it was going to be Mochizuki just because he's a Tokyo native. There's only so many more times. I mean, sadly, like I think... Masaki Mochizuki will not slow down until he decides he's done, but there's only a certain amount of times they're going to give him a Dreamgate shot from now on. So I, th it just made sense to me. It's like, oh yeah, just go with Mochizuki. You're working on a clock with him. Uh, Kai, I don't know. Like they, they, they would have to add stakes to this match, but at this point, like they've already been in an Apuestas, but yeah, they got out of the Apuestas and it wasn't a direct hair versus hair between the two of them. They've already done... Uh, you've already done like Yamato's trademark. Like what's it going to be at this point? You're not going to be able to do an exploding bat in Oda city gymnasium. Are you going to try to do barbed wire? Like that's just, uh, again, that's the idea that I can't shake is if Kai wins and, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is Yamato versus Kai for the open the dream gate championship. That is ridiculous in and of itself, especially given just how much they've interacted over the past year, year and a half now. I and mean, it was Dangerous Gate 2020 when Kai turned on Yamato. I can't put it past them to really try to stretch this feud out from Dangerous Gate to Dangerous Gate in whatever way they might do it. But that's the hole they've put themselves in is you've done the cage match. You've done the no ropes match. 
I think you have to go to Kai's playbook. And like I've talked about, he has a history of barbed wire matches. Again, I, I don't think it's likely, but it's an idea that I, I think it would be foolish not to discuss as a possibility. Right. Yeah. No. And it's something that like at a certain point, like, yeah, now the title's on the line and that is a higher stake there. And it'll be Kai's first ever Dreamgate shot. But you kind of like the way that this feud has portrayed it can't be just about the title. The fact that like Yamato thought he was over with this guy and now he has to deal with them again. I feel like you have to do the barbed wire thing at this point. And that's something that I don't really think that Dragon Gate native fans really are going to be there for just because like we've, we, we saw, we've seen in the past, like, yeah, Ata has the barbed wire board is kind of a thing, but it took a while for the crowd to be okay with that. Like it took years of like, we, we talked about, Verserk versus, or we talk about Matt Blanky versus Jimmy's. It was the next year, Verserk versus Jimmy's, that um, that Shingo Takaki brought a barbed wire bat, and that was not well received at that point. So I don't know. No, it, and it, with all due respect to Kai, he's not exactly Ata. He doesn't have that built in loyalty with the audience. Right. Yeah. And it's just that I just can't get enthused about that when I were. I know that Yamato and Masaki Mochizuki have an insane level of chemistry together. We've seen it in this building in Odyssey Gymnasium. And Benkei and Yamato also in that building as well. They had, they had a strong match there as well. So I don't know. But at this point, I'm my brain is still pointing towards Mochizuki, and that's where my heart is. But I just can't shake the Kai feeling. No, neither can I. It's uh, a, a very daunting thing to go to bed and wake up thinking, man, I might be reviewing Yamato versus Kai for the Open the Dreamgate Championship in a few weeks. Not necessarily <laughs> a position I want to be in, but a position that I might be in nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've got about we've got close to three weeks. We can emotionally prepare ourselves for it. I, That's I, what I'm I, looking to do. I, I believe in us. Uh, Nara was the next day. It was Nurki Doi's homecoming show. Five matches, as Case said earlier in the show. You know, this was a fun homecoming show. Nothing really... Like, there was a couple of matches that were solid there. Nothing was bad. But, I mean, there were some matches that you're like, oh, you're getting the day off here. You're putting in this match. And I don't blame you for taking the match off, but you're taking the day off here. And it was kind of nice to see. Uh, There's one match that kind of surprised me on this show. But, you know, the rest of this show for a lot of ways just kind of felt like all right there's some stuff that's good here there's stuff that's competent and there's stuff that was going through the motions i'm curious to see if if we agree on what the match of the night was so why don't you run down this card for us real quick all right so the opener masquerade versus natural vibes masquerade shun skywalker koda Minora, and dragon daya natural vibes susumi akoska ginky horiguchi and funky jackie kamei horiguchi again taking the fall in a match with Kame when Dragon Daya hit a Firebird splash, and I thought this match was kind of interesting. Case I thought this this match they did a good job of balancing the jokey with serious wrestling in this, and it's something that I I think it makes sense for Kame to be with these two because these two really have a, an ability to balance those two. And I mean, Masquerade's nails at this point; they just go out there and they don't miss. I don't know if this will make sense or not. I'm trying to even even phrase this in a way to where it sounds intelligent to me, but this is a match that I would put on every spot show possible, just in the sense of this is the Dragon Gate experience. Like this is what this promotion is. And in a weird way, 
I thought it was summed up really nicely in this 13 minute match. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like this is like something like when it, when they do like the soul shows, like when they go to like the amusement parks and like the boat race. Yeah, I was thinking of like the the everyday pro wrestling festival they used to do in Odaiba where the whole point was, you know, it was spot shows in this not carnival town, but I but almost this this uh like a like a I I would you call it like a boardwalk type situation? How would do do you have the words to describe Odaiba because I obviously do not. It's an amusement park but it's more like a festival kind of park in a way yeah and i I just it was one of those which stuck out to me i was like god i i just feel like if you had strangers walking by this match they stopped to watch this for 13 minutes they would understand exactly what drangi was from this match absolutely uh match two was a unaffiliated tag match it was ultimo dragon and rio saito they've kind of been been attached at the hip over the last few weeks uh, going against Jason Lee and Punchto Minaka, Rio Saito won with the Cyrio Rocket in 11 minutes. Where good for Jason, he he got to take it easy this night. Th- thoughts and prayers to Jason Lee for having to work an 11 minute tag match with Punch Tamanaga. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not something I wish on a very <laughs> very good man, but he did it and he's better off for it. Uh, thoughts and prayers to Jason Lee. Of course, and uh, I mean, it was an 11-minute match, but how much was Jason really in this match case? Well, that's the, the, the fascinating proposition that you find yourself in, where it's like, okay, I got a team with punch. The match is not going to be good as a result. If you're Jason Lee, who is a master of pro wrestling and could, and could have probably made this match super entertaining, do you work at 110%? and try to make this match worthwhile? Or do you stand on the apron and let Punch Tamanaga do his thing? And Jason chose the latter, and I ultimately think that was the correct decision here. No, Jason Lee works hard almost every night. No need to work hard here. Yeah, and it was funny because like Punch Tamanaga did a couple bits in this match that made me chuckle. In particular, the uh, trying to do the diving tag and Ryo Saito just grabbing onto his leg and slamming him down when he was like two feet away <laughs> from the corner which was pretty great, but that was really like the only moment in this match that resonated with me or that I will remember at all. Yeah, I think uh, going forward, Jason will have much more opportunities to have better matches when he's not teaming with Punch Tamanaga. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, "Ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club 
you get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And then match three, this was another Mochizuki with high-end versus R.E.D. match. It was Mochizuki, Keisuke Akuda, and Kagatora versus Eita, Kaito Ishida, and Dai Inferno. Ishida got the win over uh, Kagatora with a crucifix hold, and... This match kind of felt like it was 12 minutes and 39 seconds, the second longest match or the third longest match on the show, but it felt a lot longer to me than the rest of it. And, you know, the most notable thing was that R.E.D. still had all the Triangle Gate belts and uh, Yagi, uh, I almost called him GM Yagi. He's no longer the general manager, but a senior referee Yagi tried to take them away and he got his ass kicked for it. We should have mentioned when we're talking about the Kobe Samba Hall show and that really, really good R.E.D. versus Masquerade match. So after the match, R.E.D. steals the Triangle Gate belts and then they stack up Masquerade member by member and stand on them five person deep pile. What a visual. It's a shame that happened on Kobe and not in Cork and Hall, where at least you're going to get more Western eyeballs on it, because I love that post-match angle. So R.E.D. comes out here with the Triangle Gate belts. And weirdly, I thought I thought Ishida and Kagatora were probably the stars of this match. Kagatora, man, we were so critical of him, so done with him, quite honestly, at the beginning of this year. And then he works his ass off in Nara. Not exactly what I was anticipating from him, but I appreciate the effort nonetheless. But this was otherwise a pretty pedestrian six-man tag match. Semi-main event, Strong Machine Army, Strong Machine J, and Strong Machine J. G versus Natural Vibes, King Shimizu, and UT. Strong Machine J got the machine suplex in 12 minutes and 34 seconds. Okay, so this is my match of the night. Oh, I thought- Mike Spears, I-, I wish for audio purposes we would disagree more, but I am in the same exact boat as yo. Yeah, uh, first off, it was Funky Jackie Kamei's time to play KZ, and he just kind of shouted and screeched, and that cracked me up. And then we had an awesome tag match, and, you know, and another team that, you know, wouldn't think they would necessarily have great chemistry King Shimizu and UT really work well together, and Strong Machine G, whoever he is, had a very strong outing as well. 
yeah, Strong Machine G looked good. Strong Machine J looked really good. I thought the Strong Machines were stiff as hell in this match. It really looked like, especially on UT, they were throwing some pretty wild shots at him. And, and on a show that up to this point had been pretty lifeless, I really enjoyed that. They bounced off of Shimizu well, and they dominated UT when it was appropriate. So more power to the Strong Machines. I, I was very critical of Strong Machine J last week. I talked about how just because of his character, because of his presence and the way he's been booked, I don't always know how he fits into this promotion. He's almost like a big fish in a small pond here. And I think it creates some interesting hurdles within the Dragon Gate booking because it seems like everything for him needs to be specialized. It needs to be, you know, you have matches one through four that are Dragon Gate. Match five is the Strong Machine show. And then you go back to the Dragon Gate card after that. But this was a very authentic style of match. This was very on-brand for the promotion. And if he can do more of this, I think it's going to be much easier for me to wrap my head around his future in the promotion and try to predict what he could be like going forward. Because again, that's that's part of it with him. I just don't know how he's going to be used. I, I, I don't know if he's going to challenge for the Dreamgate belt in, in six weeks. I don't know if he's going to be in the opening match in six weeks. It's been really hard to tell because of his injuries, because of his consistency issues. And again, because of the fact that despite him being in the promotion, it almost feels like he's above this promotion at times. It's a very interesting position for him to be in. But when he works this well with UT and he works this well with King Shimizu, it's a big seal of approval for me. My match tonight, I really enjoyed this. And one last note on this match. Strong Machine G, I don't know his programming is or how they program him, but he was doing a lot of Gamma's uh, signature moves on this show. Did you notice like he was doing like the thrust kick, the axe bomber? I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe when he went in for like refurb, they uh, gave him new programming here. I thought that was kind of funny that, you know, Strong Machine G, you know, usually just works like the rough show of style and got to see him imitate someone for once. I thought that was kind of interesting. So September 8th, Cork and Hall, it is Susumi Yokosuka, King Shimizu, and Genki Horiguchi versus the aforementioned Strong Machine G, the aforementioned Strong Machine J. And right now it's listed on the Yayora website as Strong Machine question mark, which I hope holds even when we get the new Strong Machine. I hope that's the name that he goes by. Do you have any idea what direction they're going here? I don't have any direction on this. Uh, I, I, I'm going to call a shot here, though. I, I just have an I just have a feeling about this. Okay. I, I have a feeling that we might be seeing Strong Machine S right now. I am assuming you're referring to Sora Fujikawa here. Yes. He's too handsome to put under a mask. That that I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is the the leader in the clubhouse here that feels like the most likely direction they're gonna go unless they do this as a pure comedy thing, which I don't get the impression that they are. I, I don't get the impression we're getting Strong Machine Maria or Strong Machine K for Yasushi Kanda. It does seem like this is going to be, at least from the way it was presented on these shows, and, and things could change, I might be off base, but from the way they were presented on these shows, I get the impression this is going to be a permanent fixture on the roster and Sora Fujikawa is just too damn handsome to put under a mask. But then you can unmask him and everyone can go, Oh, it's Sora. He's what a dreamboat. And I think that there's some mileage there. Yeah, I, 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 unfortunately, I think you're right because I don't, I, I haven't, 
if it if the Ahashi brothers weren't scheduled to debut, I would say okay, maybe maybe it's them because they kind of have a, a bigger physique, but none of the other future kids that I've seen look like they have the body or are just big enough to be a strong machine, if that makes sense. No, yeah. I mean, especially in comparison to Strong Machine J. You know, I mean, it's something that F and G, they are two of the... I mean, G's not a big guy, but F is a legit heavyweight, so it kind of works there, and the Ahashi brothers out of this class. Other than blanking on what his name is, there's, there is one of the future kids who I think is big enough, I, I would say, to be a strong machine. I remember what his name is at the moment. Uh, S- Sato. Sato could have done it. So maybe it's another strong machine ass. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've seen that name. Has he worked a future show? I don't know if I've seen him work. I think he has done one of the ones that they did and then they later put up on the network. Okay. All right. Well, let me, I, I will dive into the network this week. Cause that, that would be, that'd be much more prefer, preferable. I, I would like it to be someone that I haven't seen before. Just because again, I have those memories of August, 2020 Sora Fujikawa getting uh, Dragon Gate fans in trouble in Osaka because they were reacting to him so much and verbally cheering for him at a time where they weren't supposed to. I would hate to see that. Uh, I would say to, hate to see him have such a drastic rebranding, but I, I fear that's the direction they might go. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you're not wrong about that. Um, main event, it's Naruki Doi's homecoming, so he's in the main event. He's teaming with High End. It was Yamato, Dragon Kid, Binke versus the R.E.D. team of BB Hulk, Kai, Diamante, and Hio. Doi got the win over Hio. Hio, Hio had a role here. It was Ita Bakatari's sliding kick in 14 minutes. Yeah, pretty standard affair homecoming match. It's exactly what I thought it was going to be. Hyo, like you talked about earlier, has lucked into this position as such a strong promo, as such a strong character, where this is now his role. And I have a feeling no matter what happens with R.E.D. towards the end of the year, he is going to be in this role for a very long time as the court jester of the heel unit because it it works out really nicely in moments like this. Again, very standard affair, eight-man tag. Nothing really jumped off the screen except for the Hyo Doi interactions, which of course led to the finish. But yeah, just a just a match, uh, uh, just a match. Unfortunately, on Doi's homecoming show. Another positive that when crowds are able to emote more, they are going to chant along with the big brain dance. Like that is something that you could hear the crowd cackle with it, just the same way that the crowd gets really into King Shimizu putting on the sunglasses. It, it, he's found a role here where he was kind of just fluctuating in the wind for a while, and it's going to stick with him. I mean, you're absolutely right. He will be someone that, like, as long as he's in the company, unless something drastically changes, he'll be doing the big brain dance as much as he can. And he got to he got to dance on Naruki Doi in his hometown. I mean, what, what what better role is there for him to do than to do his goofy dance in the middle of a ring in the middle of someone's homecoming show? It's great because I, I, you know, we've known for years, we have been probably the most vocal Hyo supporters. When we had Jay on in 2020, I asked, is there any big discrepancies between who the Western fans are into and who the Japanese fans are into? And he goes, well, you guys really like Hyo. And that really stuck with me as a funny response because <laughs> I didn't realize this had become the Hyo power station that we were his biggest fans. We always knew we had talent though. And although it's not, the role that's necessarily going to produce the greatest matches. Cause I do think there is to some degree he's sacrificing 
in-ring talent for this character, but it's worth it because he's headlining Naruki Doi's homecoming show in a role that is specifically built for him. So it's been really nice to see him. Uh, given Ben K's success, given Shun Skywalker's success, those guys are the same class as him, and Yuki Oshioka's success as well. It's really nice that he has now found his place on the card. Absolutely. It's something that, you, you know, it was tough going. As the original Hyo Watanabe fan, I'm elated to see that he's found a niche. He's carved a niche, and it's just that he's the smartest man in wrestling. So all the power to him for that. Uh, before we start talking about Naruki Doi, should we just run down the Corkin card? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So September 8th on Wednesday, opening match is Naruki Doi, Dragon Kid, and Keisuke Akuda versus BB Hulk, Kaido Ishida, and Hyo. Match two, Yamato and Kakatora versus Kota Minora and Jason Lee. Match three, Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Yuzushi Kanda versus UT, Funky Jackie Kamei, and Punch Tomonaga. Match four, this is the Strong Machine reveal match. It is, as Case said, Natural Vibes, Sumi Koska, King Shimizu, and Kiki Horiguchi versus Strong Machine G, Strong Machine J, and Strong Machine question mark. Uh, Semi main event, uh, Shun Skywalker. Dragon Dai and La Estrella versus Eita Diamante and Dai Inferno. And then the main event, it is the Dream Key match, number one contendership, three-way match, Masaki Mochizuki, Finkei, and Kai. Match zero on the show has been announced as they're still... Re- they they did an uh-oh on the Gaora site case because they're referring to someone as their previous name that they no longer are as is Takashi Yoshida or as they call him Cyber Kong. I haven't seen Cyber Kong around in years. I don't know who that is. They uh, always call him Cyber Kong on that website though. That's uh, the, the way the English translates is he's still uh, under the name Cyber Kong more often than not. Weird, weird. But he's seeming with Ho Ho Loon versus Problem Dragon and Yosuke Samaria. There has been no announced future match, but we'll see that there. Uh, Match that's calling out to me, you can probably guess it. Match two, Yamato and Kakatora versus Minoli. That, that's got some spice to it. I'm really into that. I think I overlooked that uh, up until now, because ne- now that I, I hear it again, that's going to be a strong match. I kind of wish it was later on in the show. Match two is a weird spot for that. I don't necessarily know what we're going to get from that. Jason Lee and Yamato is an interesting pairing. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like that's a combination of guys that I haven't seen a lot of. Or Are there any defining other than the infamous Tri Vanguard versus Maximum Triangle Gate match from 2018, or 2017 Final Gate. Can you think of a lot of Yamato and Jason Lee pairings? I mean, they might have teamed each other with each other in Dragon Gate Generation, but not a lot head to head at that point. Yeah, like that's Yeah, that that, that feels fresh. That feels like it's yeah. a it's an interesting tag matchup with guys that we don't see a lot of. And of course, you've got Kota Minora there. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if Yamato pins Jason Lee, which seems like the obvious finish, or if Minora pins Kagatora, which would be as exciting as it is infuriating, given that Minora is nowhere to be found in this current Dreamgate scene. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with it being matched too. And also, I don't know if the save emergency has been lifted in Tokyo yet, so they still might be working with a curfew there. So... We'll see how things are going. I mean, seven matches, that's a lot. And I don't know. I said we'll see if there's a future match. I don't know if they'll have time for that. But it's an it's interesting card. I mean, some of my main event looks strong as well. We get to have some more Dragon Daya versus Daya Inferno going on there. And, you know, not a lot of chaff on this card. I mean, when really Punch Tomonaka and Ultimo Dragon are in the same match, there you go right there. Everything else on the show looks pretty solid, I would say. 
Yeah, again, I'm I'm also into the Masquerade versus R.E.D. match. I think R.E.D. is winning the belts at Dangerous Gate, and I think we will then finally get on the road to the conclusion of Dragon Daya versus Diane Inferno. I think we will start building to a Jason Lee, S.B. Kento, Brave Gate match from there that will likely happen at Gate of Destiny, and we'll see what the future holds for the rest of Masquerade. Obviously, we talked about that Dreamgate uh, number one contender match, that three-way, Mochizuki, Ben K, and Kai. Ben K seems like the least favorite here, but boy, I, I just can't shake the idea of Kai versus Yamato headlining Dangerous Gate. Yeah, I mean, I'm still holding out hope for Mochizuki, and I think that, as I said earlier, you only have so much longer that you could really put him in those kind of matches, sadly. So I think that Kai is just a looming... <laughs> Until this match is over and I see that Kai either ate a Ben K bomb or a Senseiko high kick, I'm just going to be on pins and needles, like just being like all right is this the fate i'm accepting right now <laughs> or is this are we going to get some sort of reprieve there but yeah no binke does feel like the weird kind of addition to this match but and, and it's kind of weird also i mean he came out and challenged like his his stable mate there just kind of a odd interjection there so it'll even be if this was just mochizuki versus kai i would think that's a far more interesting matchup than this three-way like we kind of talked about when this was announced just in terms of the patterns of Dragon Gate booking, they put themselves between a rock and a hard place here where you could add Minora to this match because they have a history of doing four-way number one contendership matches. You could add Minora to this and either do a key hunting gimmick, which we explained a few weeks ago what that is, or just a standard four-way dance. Or you could do Mochizuki versus Kai, and I think that would be far more interesting than what they've set up here. Right, yeah, no. The, the, there's ways of that, like, it just kind of, just like, it's an odd interjection here. And we'll see how it plays out, you know? I mean, I'm still going to hold out hope for Mochizuki, but I, if they if they do a barbed wire match, that's going to be something. <laughs> I don't think that that's going to... Ah, well, I mean, it is the smallest of the big five buildings, so it's not going to necessarily have an issue selling out, I would say. Yeah, it's a it's a Yamato Dream Game match. I don't anticipate there to be any attendance issues. No, no. I, I think you're right there. And in case we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Naruki Doi with this being his homecoming show, this wasn't necessarily around his uh, his anniversary as they've done that in the past, but we kind of wanted to take like the, the, the back part of the show and talk about some of our favorite Naruki Doi moments through history. So, Case, take it away. Yeah, I... I felt like we needed to at least do a, a bigger picture discussion on Doi this week, not necessarily going through his entire career, but I asked Mike to come up with at least one defining moment in Naruki Doi's career. I have three that really jump out to me when I think about the legacy of Doi, and hopefully we're still a decade away at the very earliest from him calling it quits like Masato Yoshino did last month. But, you know, Doi's a veteran on the roster now, and... I was very surprised. I, I'm quite honestly shocked that we're at the end of August and Doi has not found a new unit yet. But I think that speaks to the fact that he's just at a different stage in his career where despite still being one of the biggest stars in the promotion, he is no longer 
a central focus. I, I, like I said, I'm very surprised by this booking. I expected something huge to happen with him on the August Corkin show. It didn't happen. And really, Doi finding a unit doesn't seem like it's a huge focus in the promotion right now, which blows my mind. I thought that was going to be the story of August, but it has not happened, which again just shows the youth movement and the constant roster progression within Dragon Gate. But in terms of defining Naruki Doi moments, I have three of them. I'll give you one to start here, Mike, and, and I get your thoughts on this. It's a show I talk about all the time. January 14th, 2005, second Doi is in the opening match, and he gives Masaki Mochizuki a Bakatare sliding kick, and he joins what would become Blood Generation, and the next 15 years of his career are made off of that moment. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the first moment you have to talk about because second Doi, even though he was a member of M2K and even though like he was late to, to T2P because he was injured, did not necessarily like jump off the page before turning and becoming Naruki Doi. And in a lot of ways, like yeah, like there is the four years of history before that, but it felt like his career really started on that night in two thousand five. Yeah, because I don't, I mean, may, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't really think anybody has a favorite second doi moment. And it's not that he was a, a detractor in T2P or Torimon, but that's just not a strong era of his career. Is there someone on the roster now that you would have as like a second doi comp of just someone that was largely existing but was inoffensive? I think it's KZ. I think KZ is someone that, that his big turning point came much later, but I mean, he spent so long as like a lost post that just kind of just did not matter that much in the greater scheme of things. Like that is, and, and I think that's a, maybe a bigger change just for, cause like second Doi wasn't necessarily a lost post by any stretch of the imagination, but KZ and MCKZ very much was up to that point. I mean, that's the closest comp I'd throw on that. That's interesting. That's not necessarily what I thought you were going to say. It's I, I, I see where you're coming from there. I think Second Doi as a character, I, it reminds me a little bit of Kagatora, where it's just it, it's like the worst version of Kagatora, where that guy's there and he's fine. And I guess every once in a while he has a really good match. And Second Doi would have multi-man matches where he was excellent. But again, not someone I would consider to be one of the upper echelon workers which is amazing given once Doi turns uh, to Blood Generation, he turns up his in-ring to such an extraordinary degree, and it's it's a very obvious change. You see it from January 2005 going forward. Like, oh my god, Naruki Doi is actually an excellent pro wrestler. Yeah, and it's something that, I mean, sometimes it, there's a level of confidence, I would say, that would really kind of change with that. I mean, we saw that with a second doi to doi we saw that with akira tozawa returning from excursion we saw that with kz stepping up and it, it it's something that you and, and and when we like discussed doing this the thing that really kind of struck me was just how big of a just like delineation points you have in Naruki doi's career and it's something that you don't like you compare it to masato yoshino masato yoshino just consistent i mean even from sexy tarzan to workout enthusiasts to just masato yoshino consistent naruki doi is someone that like he has eras and i think that's really fascinating and really it's something that i think that i'm just gonna go chronologically and i th unless you have something between this i think the next 
big moment in his career was the formation of World One in 2008, May May two. I'm sorry, May 31st, 2008. Even though Speed Muscle existed in, in Muscle Outlaws, and they turned on May 5th to they they fully turned face there. I would say that like you, you when you talk about Naruki Doi, the next big step happens with the formation of World One. And it's interesting because about a month ago, we talked about the best Dragon Gate units of all time, and I had World 1 in my top five, and I still feel like I massively undersold World 1. I thought a lot about that episode and my rankings ever since, and there might not be a unit that I've ever enjoyed more than World 1, but it also comes at a time where after you get through that first year and after you get through 2008, where you still have just some top-notch tag team wrestling with Doi and Yoshino. They start the year, that great match in January against Shingo and Hulk. Summer Adventure Tag League, they clean up in that year. That's the year with the no, the no Ring Show, and then the great finals against Shingo and Dragon Kid in the Summer Adventure Tag League. You go into the end of that year, Doi beats Shingo for the Dreamgate belt, and then, you know, we've talked about it on this show. I think you have a real low point in Doi's career with his first open the Dreamgate run. And it's one that really tarnished the way I thought about him for a long time. Not that every match was bad, but up to that point, and honestly, especially in hindsight, given what followed, one of the weakest Dreamgate runs of all time. Yeah, and it's something that it had a couple matches that were really solid, but Maybe the worst uh, Dreamgate match non Cyberkong uh, with him and Akibono. Like, I felt like that match was just dreadful. <laughs> and so, I know that. Yeah, that's. You look at his reign. It's a 26 minute match where he beat Shingo for the belt. And I, I, I like that match. I think their match on the first GG USA show is probably better, but that's still. That final gate match is good. And then from there, 27 minutes against Takuwasa, Wasa, 27 minutes against Koji Kanemoto. 15 minutes against Aki Bono. You go into a 30-minute Dreamgate match with Masada Yoshino. That's up on the network. That's a very good match. The Kobe World main event with Shima, which last time I watched, I thought was one of the weakest Kobe World main events there's ever been. And then out of that, 32 minutes against Susumu, 27 minutes against Hulk, and I think that's the best match of his reign. 29 minutes against Magnitude Kishiwada, and then finally a 30-minute loss to Yamato and another... That's one of the best matches of 2010, Yamato versus Doi from March of that year. But it's not a strong reign, but also when you're in there for 27 minutes with Awasa and Kanemoto and, and Magnitude Kishiwada, and then 15 against, against Aki Bono, you are not exactly put in positions to succeed. No, and, and I'm a little bit higher on Koji Kanemoto's match. I think that's probably, with the exception of his title win and the Yoshino match, probably out of those. And I'm a huge Taku Awasa fan. I feel like that it was a... It, was, it did not need to go 27 minutes. So that match was 20 minutes or 15 minutes. It would have been perfectly great, but it just kind of just dragged on. But really, like we talk about World 1, like that's also... I think one of the reasons why World 1 resonates so much, and I know we talked about this before, is because it was like the the big unit for Dragon Gate USA. It was a part of the big Dragon Gate like Western expansion, like the second wave after the uh, the six-man match in Chicago Ridge. It kind of was the next one. And I feel like that's the reason why World 1 also stands out. And also you look at World Run, 
and there's not a whole lot of chaff there. That it's kind of I wouldn't necessarily say non-stop bangers because it did have homicide in the unit for whatever reason. <laughs> but it was really the number one draft pick of World One and Drangate USA homicide. Exactly, but it just was all really kind of solid stuff, and I feel like that's the reason why. And I think that you looked at that unit, sh- you look at like the delineation points, you look at like the air changes for Naruki Doi. When when Doyoshi were in the middle of the ring calling up KZ in Mexico, waking him up in the night saying, hey, do you want to join World One? That's a resonating moment, I think, in the history of the Dragon system. And it's something that you kind of have to keep in mind. I'm going to skip over a few different points of Doi's career for my next defining moment. Like I said, I've got three of them. When I think about Naruki Doi, I obviously think about World One, the tag team with Masato Yoshino. But I also think about what he did with Yamato and the Yamadoi tag team. Now, the question I have for you, Mike, is there a specific Yamadoi match that stands out in your mind as their very best? You know, it's the most consistent Twinkie tile run of all time. Like, it it just was like, I don't think they had a match at that time that was uh, necessarily bad i feel like all the matches like started at like th- at, at three and a half stars maybe like it felt like it just like non-stop it was like non-stop bangers but there was a match with uh i know i i need to pull this up right now in cage matches because i know ginky horaguchi was in this match and i'm just trying to remember what the other person in this match was but yeah this was my second point you pull you you took from me on this but because it just was such a resonating tag team it's something that yeah ck won now has the longest twin gate run and probably never be beaten in it. And they did have like nonstop bangers, I would say, as as twin gate champions. But we're gonna hold, and I think Doyama is going to be the thing that you just like hold on to as like the best twin gate run of all time. And I don't think there's any any like debating that in a way. It just was such a strong match. As as I'm filling time, as I'm looking up to the Yama Doi Doyama. Uh, matches. Let's see what it was. I'm just going to search Ginky Horiguchi real quick. We're doing great here. This is great audio, okay? So I apologize. I will say about Yamadoi, a universally beloved team. I think every yeah. every aspect of Dragon Gate fans, from uh, your native fans to your Western fans, whether you're watching for characters, good wrestling, or attractive men, Yamadoi filled every void you could possibly imagine. And they were just cool as hell. Like they were just that they looked like Bond villains and they just came out and they just absolutely like rocked it all the time. And it was something that was just really kind of powerful to like see them in this like role that they had. And did I make up in my mind a Ginky Horiguchi Twin Gate title shot? I think I did. Well, January 17th, 2016, I'm looking at it now. Doin Yamato versus Horiguchi and Saito. That was from Osaka number two. Yes, that was it. Yeah. Okay, I do not remember this match. I need to go back and watch it, because that is not... When I think about Yamadoi, I do not think about their match versus Horiguchi and Saito. Yeah, I mean, you probably think about the Seidel and Ricochet match. You probably think about the Shingo and T-Hawk tag team. You think about the uh, the, the match that they won the belt. You you think about how The they... Yoshino and T-Hawk match was excellent. That was Dorian yeah. Yamada versus Yoshino and T-Hawk. I loved that match in the moment. The Nesca match? I mean, that was another like huge one in Hakata Starling. It's like I'm just like looking down like the this tile run here, case, and it is just like nonstop. They got a great match out of Punch Tomonaga. 
They well, got a great... I don't. I, I, I don't think that was on my list. Final Gate 2015. Doi and Yamato. On this. Yes, I I remember this because I was much lower on it than you. Doi and Yamato versus Gamma and Punch. <laughs> and I remember watching this live at three Eastern in the morning, thinking, "What the hell am I doing with my life? What is this? Why am I up this early in the morning watching Punch Tamanaga and Gamma challenge for titles that they're not going to win?" I mean, I mean, you have to watch it because someone's got to tell the tale of. Well, in 2015, there was this guy called Punch Tamanaga, and he's kind of a spare. But and he and him and his partner Gamma, also just kind of a seedy dude, teamed up against a bunch of Bond villains and they rocked it in Fukuoka. So I ask you this Doyama question because to me, their defining moment, what I think about when I think of this team, is not one of the Twin Gate matches they had. It's actually a match that we talked about on the podcast a few months ago. I think it was uh, the episode we did with Rich Krejci talking about Masada Yoshino. The losing unit disbands 12-man match from February 4th, 2016. Verzerk, Monster Express, and Dialheart losing unit disbands. The fact that this match had Shingo, it had Akira Tozawa, it had Masada Yoshino, it had Dragon Kid, it had Masaki Mochizuki, among others. At the end of the match, the two men standing are Yamato and Naruki Doi. That was such a powerful thing in the moment that this tag team was stronger than all of these other units. And when I think about how great they were, I think about that match. It's just something that, like, I, I, I think that, well, like, there are the early Twingate teams that absolutely, like, they they, they paved the road for Doyama. But at the same time, you, like, you looked at it like this, and even though we were kind of bickering about it, Case, in a way, still was not a bad match between Gamma and Punch Tomonaga. Like, they were just amazing stuff. They would come out, they would look cool as hell, they would have amazing chemistry, they would pull these matches out, and they weren't the same matches. And that was a thing. Like, the match they had with Ricochet and Seidel, completely different from the Mariah Sapa match. I have that Gamma and Tomonaga match at three and a quarter. I'm looking at my review right now. <sighs> I think you got to revise the list, dude. I think you got to revise. I, I think I got to go back and watch Final Gate 2015 from start to finish because this show uh, opens with El Lindemann, Kaito Ishida, and Takahiro Yamamura versus Don Fuji, Yosuke Santa Maria, <laughs> and Nozawa. And there's also a Matsukatsu motherfucking Funaki versus Stark Ichikawa match on this show. So a lot of this needs revisiting. <laughs> I, I mean, if we ever get to a certain point, we should just do a series of the freak show matches they would have with with uh, Soccer Chikawa, because he had a whole lot there. Uh, Case, my next moment, since you took one of them, was September 12, 2013, when, when uh, Naruki Doi turns on Masato Yoshino for the second and last time, ending World 1 International, and having to heel turn that completely revitalized his career and made him one of the most popular guys in the company as a heel in joining Mad Blanky. So this is an all-time great Corkin show. This is, like you said, September 9th, or I'm sorry, September 12th, 2013. On this card, Uha Nation versus Ryotsu Shimizu, Ricochet versus Yosuke Watanabe, a really fun Millennials versus Jimmy Six-Man, and then your final two matches are... Tozawa and Shingo versus Doi and Yoshino, where Doi turns and joins Mad Blanky. And then the Yamato versus Ryo Saito Dreamgate match, which is one of the best Dreamgate matches of the last decade. I love this show. 
I love the way the doy turn was executed. It came across as dramatic. It came across as heartbreaking. Whatever emotions they wanted to get out of that turn, they got out of it. And that led into Doi and Mad Blanky, which is an iconic name a better duo. Naruki Doi and Mad Blanky. I'll wait. Oi, oi, nashi, nashi. Just the most. <laughs> like we were talking about this last week. He was so popular that they made such a big deal about him having a homecoming show where he signed where he signed autographs. Like it's something that's really hard to equate if to just like what it is. And I mean, you look at where Doi was in 2013. And you look at where Doi is in 2021, it started on September 12, 2013. Yeah, I, I completely agree, because that led him into the dominant runs of Matt Blank and Verzerk. That led him to Maximum, and that led him to the final Naruki Doi moment that I really want to talk about. The obvious one here, December of 2019, Ben K versus Naruki Doi. I thought there was a 0% chance that Doi was winning the Dreamgate belt. And what they have was one of the all-time great Dreamgate matches with a phenomenal English commentary call from Lenny Leonard and Larry Dallas. And I'll be damned, Naruki Doi wins the Open the Dreamgate belt and, for me, completely changes the way I think about his entire career based on the Dreamgate run that he would have, defending the belt in a match of the year contender against KZ, and then defending the belt in a match of the year of contender against Susumu Yokosuka, and then getting through the initial COVID shutdown and coming out in August of 2020 and having a match of the year contender with Ata. An incredible reign. And like I said, I talked earlier about how disappointing Doi's first Dreamgate run was for me and how it really... I, I just always, I, I could never get past it. And of course, that was all stuff that I watched in hindsight, but I watched it in the hindsight and hated it. And it, it was, you know, even when we talk about greatest wrestler ever stuff, Doi wasn't somebody I consider just based off of that Dreamgate run. And then this next time around, we had just, you know, had the ATA match when Alan and I really started talking about this project. And by the end of it, I'm going, I can't leave Doi off this list. He's one of the single greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. And... When he gets the opportunity, when he's not wrestling Akibono, he's a pretty damn good main event singles wrestler, too. Yeah, the, as you said, completely changes the narrative. And it's something that that title change was such a shock. And it was a couple of years after people were kind of expecting that he might win the title from Yamato. And it just was like such a kind of like a thing there. But it, he was the guy that needed to be at the stern. It's not the stern. He went, He had to be at the bridge you know, telling people this is the direction we're going and getting them through, you know, I mean, a really tough time in transitioning it to the new youth revolution, the new movement that started with Asia. I mean, it's something that it completely, and maybe some of it is also that as this rain happened, we were rewatching DGUSA and I was just like, holy crap, Nuruki Doi is just on another level. He might be one of like the smarter wrestlers. Like you, you could see how much thought he puts into these matches and, Oh, I'm go- I, I go back to this match all the time. The match he had of John Moxley in Burlington, North Carolina for DGUSA, where he decided, I'm going to be doing a touring champion match here. And that's something that you don't see out of Dragon Gate stuff. And it's just, you, you like look at him and you look at like the narrative completely changed at Final Gate 2019. Uh, the, the one last one that I thought off the top of my head since we crossed over with Doyama, uh, the invention of Doy Darts. That is something that's, innately in the fabric of dragon gate it started i forget the exact date of the first doi darts match it started as a way for team doi which was a 
kind of proto-heel unit that later would join with Warriors to form Blood Warriors, where the team of Naruki Doi, uh, Naoki Tanizaki, and KZ, the, yeah, KZ, before he broke his ankle, were Triangle Gate champions, and they would only let people challenge them by the luck of the Doi darts throw. And it was so popular. Like, I mean, they made Doi darts t-shirts, and it became such an enduring thing that now every December we know it's Doi darts time, and it's something that's embedded itself in the fabric of the dragon system. Oh, yeah, it, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It happens around Christmas, but, you know, on my calendar, December 25th means nothing. I'm looking for that first Cork and Hall show where we can bust out the dartboard because that is my celebration. That is the season of giving right there. Naruki Doi giving the gift of entertainment by way of the Doi darts match. What a terrific concept. I, I mean, it's one of those deals. I, I almost feel like that idea, if you pitched it to someone, it would be more entertaining to someone that knows nothing about wrestling rather than a, a well-established American wrestling fan. Where it's like, oh, the idea is it's a shoot and kids throw darts at a board and that determines either a, a championship match in some cases or just the main event of a big show. Every year it delivers. Every year it's so entertaining. And it's one of those deals. And I remember the flagship of Voices of Wrestling talking about this years ago where obviously between Rich and Joe and you and me were not people that speak a word of Japanese. Every year we sit through Doi Darts and we are so incredibly entertained by the way Naruki Doi carries that segment, despite the fact that we have no clue what he's saying. And it's something that, like, I remember going back to iHeartDG and Jay's translations, and, like, the funniest thing to me was right after Naruki Doi got married, they, they made a whole bit out of the fact that Naruki Doi still wanted to have the make the Doi Darts thing, and he was out, and it was, like, either on, like, his roof or in his garage, like, doing this, and his wife had to put up with that, and everyone was like, wow, she must be a saint putting up with someone who's that obsessed with a dart board that he has to go do that and it just is one of those things that's just embedded in the fabric just as much as like l lindeman getting angry at a kid for throwing a dart at him just like them having to interject doi and yamato into a match because it was a bad draw it's just one of those things that i the, the only other promotion in the world that i think would do a match like this is wwe it would come off as trite wwe trash it would be awful. And I was I was just looking for that match that you just referenced. This was the 2016 Doi Darts match where the initial 10 guys in the match, it was Kness, Susumu, Brother Yashi, Yosuke Santa Maria, and a rookie, Yuki Yoshioka, against Don Fuji, a rookie, Hyo Watanabe, Jimmy Kanda, Problem Dragon, and Punch Tamanaga amazingly the weakest match possible so they added doi and yamato to the match to give it some star power <laughs> poor susumu thinking like hey i'm like the big guy in this match and, and immediately being told like we can't have this match that, <laughs> yeah. like I, I started reading this the, the first team against like it's kness and yashi and maria like that's not that bad and they've got susumu too that second team of don fuji hyo who again was six months into his career at this point kanda ryu and tamanaga is unbelievable what a cesspool of a team i mean don fuji and hyo at that time i was stoked for those two guys being in the same match together i i didn't think they needed to muddle the waters with doyama i mean come on don fuji and especially 2016 hyo wanabe when he was wrestling in leopard print converse which made me uncomfortable he sounds like that kid's gonna break an ankle that kid's gonna break an ankle somehow he didn't break an ankle i uh I wrote about Hio Watanabe in that era that he had charisma that reminded me of Shima in Michinoku Pro. 
And for as much as I love Hyo, I do feel like I missed the mark with that comparison with five years of hindsight. He is not exactly the next coming of Shima. Buddy, you're in light company here. <laughs> I mean, I went off about that and about that comp too. So, I mean, hey, <laughs> I mean, he, he's found his role. He's the biggest brain in wrestling. I'm super happy for it. He's super enjoyable now, but, you know, it took him a while to get to that. And that's not a Michinoku Pro crazy match Shima by any stretch of imagination. It's entertaining, but it's not crazy Max Shima, unfortunately. I, look, I would love to find a second version of that, but I do think that man is a one in a million talent, uh, both Shima and in a way, Hyo. I mean, no one else has this big brain of Hyo. I mean, he's once in a century talent. I mean, he's not a high-flying star, but I mean, he is the once in a century talent. Oh, boy. Hyo Watanabe, our MVP of the weekend. Uh, obviously, UT was good, but he did not have as big of a brain. And those are my thoughts on Dragon Gate this week. <laughs> uh, Case, before I let you go, I, I need to ask you, do you approve of the job that General Manager Rio Saito is doing? I, I, I approve... Because nothing bad happened, but uh, maybe maybe let's add some spark to these upcoming cards. Maybe maybe at a dangerous gate, we throw in a Nanawa-style elimination match just to pop Ooh. your boys over and open the voice gate, Rio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe Yoshida-style. We don't have to be tied into Nanawa. We just want to have like that. And if you want to toss in Captain's Fall to it Captain's as well. Captain's Fall, a, a pescatory Yagi-bred baker survival match, whatever, whatever Yagi's gimmick was called. Feel free to throw that out there. I, I would like some fun multi-man matches going forward if you're listening to this, Rio Saito. The the one thing we don't need, even though we desperately want him back, we don't need an Akira Tozawa treasure hunt match. We do not need that. No, rest in peace, Akira Tozawa. Shame he retired five years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. Uh, Case, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, that's all I got. All right, you can follow us at Open Voicegate, cases at underscore in your case, and I'm at Fujiheya. Thank you listening. Thank you for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next time, and we'll probably know who the Dreamgate challenger is at Dangerous Gate. Take care.